This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Miss the show? No worries. We've got you covered on point and on the podcast. Health Canada approves yet another vaccine. That is good news for sure. But before you get all excited, when you actually start comparing around the world, Israel will be vaccinated before we even get a quarter of our vaccines. If you're planning to travel this year, you might want to you know, rethink this fantasy because it could turn into a real nightmare. And Carrot the Magic Deer brings a whole lot of brightness into this world that we could all use right about now. So let's get talking. To say that we'll stay apart this year is easier said than done. It is understandable under these circumstances to want to do what you always do. It is natural to want to rebel in some way against all the obstacles we face. But this is just one year of the unusual. And next year, I believe that we can expect better things. Sure do hope so. Alex Pearson with you on this December 23rd, Wednesday, December 23rd. And I'm happy to be with you on what will be my final show of 2020. And normally, a lot of the show, you know, we'd be looking back to the year that was. But i got to be honest, 2020 has simply sucked, you know whether it be the downing of Iranian Flight 752 and all the devastation for those families and the injustice. You know, we had Kobe Bryant, Alex Trebek, Neil Peart, Eddie Van Halen. I mean, there's so many big, big, big events uh, that happened this year. Um, and it didn't even get covered because, of course, there was COVID. It's just been one of those years, I think, to forget. And I, I think a lot of, of us will try to do that over the holidays, and I hope you can. And, you know, I'm happy to have this be my last show. Pretty darn tired. My team's pretty tired because we work. Uh, I know it looks easy and it's you know, a lot of people think, hey, you only do three hours a day. That is that is not what happens. So I think everyone's tired and uh, ready to get off this never ending hamster wheel of news because that's what it is. It's just never ending. Go around and around and around and around. But uh, December 23rd is generally never a happy day for me. And uh, I suspect I'm not alone. And so there's a reason I don't like when those in charge say, you know, just stay home. There's, there's always next Christmas. Well, maybe and, and maybe, maybe not because there's never a guarantee. You know, stuff happens. And sometimes it, it happens very suddenly. And it did for me and my sisters 13 years ago today, which just seems like yesterday. And that's when my dad suddenly died. And today is one of those days where I relive kind of every hour. You know, whoa, that's where I was. That's what I was doing. Oh, my God, I remember that. I remember the rain. I remember the tears. I remember. And I had been covering a, a terrible fatal fire as a reporter for Global. It was on the 22nd where a mom and her two kids had been killed in a fire. And it was such a terrible loss. And, and I remember the debris of tattered kind of gifts 
and um, wrapping paper, personal belongings all over the front lawn, all these charred kind of collateral damage and, and all day family members showing up just to be confronted by the enormity of the loss. Uh, so it was terrible. And as always, because I, I covered a lot of these kinds of tragedies, I, I left the scene. I had a very heavy heart wondering, you know, what they must be going through, especially at this time of year and, and how they'll go on. And then I, I'm driving home from work and my phone rings and, and I'm being told I have to rush to Hamilton General because my dad wasn't going to make it. And I thought, oh my God, what, what is it? What? What are you talking about? And no, it wasn't a violent end and it, it didn't happen because of a violent crime. It wasn't even newsworthy, but... It was unexpected. And ultimately, death is death. And when it's someone you love, it just hurts. And so here I was exiting one world of loss and entering my own world of loss. And I'd covered loss so many times, but here I was joining this grief club. And I remember every story I've covered. I remember every family I've met. I remember the stories of their loss, but it really was only when I suffered my own loss that I, I got an understanding of what they went through, of what empathy is, of what grief is. And so really, Christmas is not really the most joyous affair for me because my dad was the one who made it exciting. And especially, especially as a kid, because he was a ham, you know, we weren't allowed to leave our rooms. That was like the rule. Do not get out of your rooms. Probably, I think a lot of our generation, do not leave the room. So we'd sit at our doorway and wait for the parents to wake up. And then he'd, he'd kind of make us wait behind him and, and he'd get us all excited and leave us wondering, you know, did Santa come and did he not? And he'd look in the living room door and he'd get this concerned look on his face. And then he'd say, you know, I think we need to talk. And then we'd have to go sit in the kitchen for like the longest, most torturous breakfast where he would stall and, and question, you know, did Santa come? Do you think he didn't come? And, and then by the time we were climbing the walls, with, you know, worry, he'd let us loose. And that's where we would discover, you know, this big stack of gifts. And, and those are, are some of my memories. And so when it passed, and he passed, I, I stopped putting up a tree, and I, I really stopped celebrating Christmas. And it was really only when my son was born, uh, that Christmas came back a little bit to life for me and, and made me want to show him that same kind of magic that I experienced as a kid, you know, just showing a little bit of my childhood. And even though it's done uh, with a heavy heart, I tried to do the same dorky things my dad did, because that is just one way that I can bring a little bit of my dad into my child's life and, and pass a bit of that magic on because he didn't, he didn't meet my dad. And my dad would have been nuts about Levi, just nuts about him. But that's just my story. And I tell it because, you know, out there, I know there are thousands of you who have gone through the same thing, or maybe you're going through it right now, or maybe you've been robbed of that final goodbye this year or that last touch or those last words of comfort to your loved one. You know, maybe you're one of those, you know, robbed of, of going to the funeral, which adds such a, a layer of incomprehensible cruelty to the grief people suffer when it, when it comes to loss. I mean, at least I can say I could hold my dad's hand and I was able to tell him I love him and thank him for everything he gave to me. But, you know, many this year didn't get to do that. My good friend Jackie was robbed of all of that. And now she has to live with that. And I know a lot of people who have suffered that. And so, as we, you know, we head into the holidays. I know there will be many who bend the rules and quietly gather with loved ones because for... for for a lot of people, there's not going to be this next Christmas. 
I'm not advocating it, but I do understand it. And as much as I desperately want to see my my sisters, you know, my mom, you know, at this time of year, I, I am going to stay put. But I definitely thought about it. I definitely toyed back and forth about it because I know there is no guarantee that there will be a next year. My mom's getting older. I don't know. And so while those in charge, you know, they march out these talking points, you know, and they're asking us that we be tilly tattletales, you know, keep in mind, not everyone's gathering to have a big rager or to be a jerk. Some simply won't have another Christmas or another next time. And to those who are being jerks just because they want to kind of put a thumb in everyone's eye to prove a point, I mean, maybe just don't. Because for a lot of people at this time of year, it is impossibly tough. It can be a very lonely time of year. And for a lot of people out there, there is absolutely nothing to celebrate this year. So kind of made me cringe when I heard the prime ministers, you know, with this kind of drama. There have been times when our grandparents or parents couldn't be with family or had to put traditions on hold. They had faith that better days would come around. Well, this Christmas, it's our turn. It's up to us to protect each other. It's up to us to pull together, to hold on, and to know, however dark the winter may be, spring is coming. And better days will be back. Uh, yeah, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. But not everyone out there is breaking the rules to be troublemakers. And uh, it's not because they don't want to do their part. They're just desperate for normal. Desperate for company, maybe to find a bit of joy in what has been a very joyless year that really shouldn't have happened, didn't have to be this bad. And frankly, Mr. Prime Minister, had you and the rest just done your jobs, we, we probably would have. And I include the people who are too casual and kind of breaking the rules, going to keg parties and doing whatever. You know, we, we would be able to go and spend Christmas uh, together. So just some food for thought. It is not always an easy year just to give up and say, yeah, we're just going to park it. I can announce that we will be receiving an additional quarter of a million doses from Pfizer next month. That takes us up to a total of almost 751,000 Pfizer vaccine doses for January. Mm-hmm. All right. Good news, I guess. Yes, Moderna has been approved by Health Canada, which we have 40 million doses on order. And um, this is, of course, the easier of the two vaccines to deliver and handle. So hopefully we can at least speed up delivery of who gets it. By, you know, but while everyone's a little bit giddy with excitement, I'll, I'll, let's put some perspective to the headlines. Because Trudeau said today that between the earlier doses already received of Pfizer and these upcoming shipments, Canada is on track to have... 1.2 million doses of the two vaccines by the end of January, which means just over half a million Canadians could be vaccinated by February. Israel is going to be vaccinating between 60 to 80,000 people a day soon in the next couple of days and expected to have all 9 million of its citizens possibly inoculated by Passover. So who has reason to celebrate? I'd say Israel. Let us bring in Amir Aharan, professor of law and medicine at the University of Ottawa, also a trained epidemiologist. Good to have you, professor. Alex, hello. 
Math was never my strong suit, but I tried to do it. And um, General Venier today saying that we would have 6 million doses of the two in the first quarter, which means if all goes according to plan in four months, 3 million Canadians will be vaccinated. Is that good enough for us? It's simply awful. And let me make the comparison of where we stand with, uh, with California. Why? Because the population of Canada and of California is almost exactly equal. What the government has told us is that um, they will get 1.2 million doses in Canada by the end of January. Alex, as we're speaking today, California has already already received more than that. California has received 1.7 million doses today. What Canada is doing is perhaps pulling equal with California a couple months late. And even at the end of March, the end of the first quarter, we will have received enough vaccine for under 10% of Canadians. So what does that... Yeah. And what does that mean to the bigger picture? I mean, we have two, you know, strains that are, um, you know, new that are a threat. I don't know how serious those are, but we have to get people inoculated. We need at least 25 million people, as I understand, in this country to be inoculated to get the herd immunity. But if that doesn't happen until September, do we risk then not having this thing work at all? The reality is that Canada is going to be suffering with this pandemic months longer than some other countries. And it all comes down to the fact that our government was very slow in organizing a vaccine supply. And consequently, the vaccines will arrive to us later than many other places. That's a terrible mistake. Now, you bring up the question of the fact that the virus is mutating. It has been ever since the day it was discovered. And Most of those mutations, nobody ever notices except briefly. But there are some new mutations that have been discovered in the United Kingdom that are of of concern now because they could potentially affect whether the vaccine works. Now, personally, I think that is very, very unlikely, and it is not going to interfere one bit with vaccination in the next year. But it does teach us that the the virus we're dealing with can change and can come back to bite humanity again. And so it's critical that this country get ready for the next pandemic because there will be another one. And we've learned from this pandemic that we weren't ready at all. and We've made almost the worst choices that, that could be made. Right. But we already had something called SARS, and that was supposed to be our big dress rehearsal that would put us ahead of everybody else in the world because all of the inquiries and all the commissions, all these things should have had us prepared. And we decided that it would be better to chase the virus instead of getting ahead of the virus. But then if this is mutating, and today the prime minister came out and announced that they're going to do an extended travel ban on UK travelers. And to me, I mean, call me crazy, but if you've got this mutation coming in from South Africa and those who fly in from South Africa don't do so directly, they go through Europe. Um, There are countries, Ireland is reporting some of these new strains. You've got Denmark reporting some of these strains. There are other areas that have the strain. And if they're all coming through the UK, 
um, then we're still bringing it into the country. So would it not make more sense while we're trying to figure out what this thing is to put an international travel ban for 28 days while we're in shutdown? It wouldn't be a bad idea. I I mean, when we heard on Saturday morning about these new mutations, it it took me just about an hour or two to contact everyone I knew in government and say, do something quickly. But it's also probably too late. More likely than not, these mutations are circulating already in Canada, and we just don't know it. We don't know it because unlike better countries at this, we don't surveil the genetic makeup of the viruses out there. Countries like Australia are really good at this. They're always looking at the genetic makeup of the virus as it pops up. Our country does so little of that. We are behind Malawi, if you can believe (laughs) it. No, um, pardon me, Gambia. I got the wrong African country. (laughs) Neither is a great choice. Neither. And, And this is an area where Canada, again, just falls flat on its face for lack of preparation because we should have been monitoring the genetic makeup of viruses aggressively, proactively, like Denmark does, like Australia does, like the UK does. That was something that was uh, available to us and we just didn't do a good job of it. And so, you know, I know that there are a lot, you know, the the talking points have now turned to, you know, the lights at the end of the tunnel, you know, we're going to get through this, you know, we'll go through dark winter, and then you come out on the other side of this. But the reality is, and I think it would be smarter for governments in charge to start um, managing expectations, because in six or seven months from now, if we're still going into these lockdown measures, which can't be or shouldn't be an actual strategy, it should be a last resort. You know, this just does more of everything, more economic destruction, more mental health um, issues like suicides and mental illness. I mean, if people don't understand the realities, it's just setting us up for failure. Absolutely. And, and you know, the way it stands now is the government has said that vaccinating the general population will not begin until April. Uh, what we're going to see is that in April, the United States is well along in vaccinating its general population, just as we're starting um, other countries too. There's the there's a news story circulating today that that Canadian snowbirds in the United States yeah. will be vaccinated there before they could be in Canada. And well, that's correct. Um, not that we should begrudge them that, because at least they're freeing up vaccine doses for others in Canada. Um, so it helps us, but it is sad. It is disappointing that Canadians are getting better care elsewhere than in their own country. But there was also a question asked of the Prime Minister today about Pfizer, um, that, that other vaccine you know, amounts could uh, came available. They could buy more doses of it, and they didn't. Uh, but America sure did. I think it was the number 100 million that America bought. I do not understand why we would have passed on that. It's a very good question. Um, We've never made good decisions as a country on this. And as you know, I I warned about this even over the summer that we were making terrible decisions that would cost us dearly on the vaccine. Um, This is a a latest development and it's a sad one. Pfizer is expanding production of its vaccine, but that expansion will go to the United States because the United States has helped Pfizer source Mm -hmm. more raw materials. Right. I would very much like to know if Canada has looked in its closet to ask whether we have raw materials 
that we could contribute because that could help us get more vaccine. But the government has not, to the best of my knowledge, explored that possibility. And so the additional doses that Pfizer is now, thank goodness, able to manufacture, sadly will not come to our country. And so, you know, if you're to manage expectations for us, then what should Canadians expect to see, um, let's say, by July? By July, some of us um, will be getting vaccinated, apart from just the elderly or the vulnerable or those in care homes or the healthcare workers. Um, people. Are you talking mil? Are you talking millions? I would hope so, but it will not be the case that um, we get this project over with before the end of 2021, and that to me is tremendously sad because. You know, that's a long haul, and and it's going to hurt um, families, it's going to hurt people, it's going to hurt businesses, especially small business, Yeah, Mm -hmm. and um, there's no good reason for it. It's just a straight-up tragedy. It is. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that those in charge uh, start taking charge during this 28 days. And instead of doing all the photo ops, I hope they come up with a plan um, to figure out how to live with this thing while we're waiting for vaccines, because these partial shutdown measures are, are, are clearly not going to work. No. And, you know, this is one thing Canada has done badly from the beginning is we're like an accordion. We open up, we shut down, we open up, we shut down. And that is the wrong way to manage this disease. The the correct way is to do it like Australia has done, which is just be vicious in virtually eliminating the disease. If it takes months, it takes months. But get down to zero and then try and keep it there. That's worked well for them. They're having a normal Christmas. We are not. Basically, Alex, it's like this. Do you tear off the Band-Aid the way Australia has done, or do you try and inch it off and wince with every millimeter the Band-Aid moves, which is the way we've done it? Clearly, we've made the wrong choice. And if we're going to have a better year ahead of us, it is very much time to think about swallowing hard and doing the Australia model, or for that matter, the Atlantic Canada model, which is exactly the same thing. I mean, Atlantic Canada last week had zero deaths, zero. That's a success, and it's under our noses. Well, I mean, I think people are looking for a happier 2021, but I do uh, think that 2021 will be, in fact, the storyteller on um, on what happens to this country. Professor, I appreciate your time on this and always uh, appreciate your insight, and I wish you the merriest of holidays and somehow a better new year. You too, Alex. Please stay safe, and everyone, please stay home. Thank you very much. Professor Adherent joining us here today. He's been ra- you know, raising these red flags for months, months. So we'll wait and see. But the numbers do not add up um, to a positive here for Canadians, regardless of what the headlines say. It's not about the headlines. It's about the facts of the numbers. And we are going to be very far behind a lot of other countries. If you're good with that, okay. But I just don't understand why Canadians continue to settle for failure Like it's a participation ribbon. Yay, we came in last. (laughs) No, sorry. Let's be clear. This is not the time for a vacation abroad. Even if you travel 
every winter. Please rethink your plans. In many parts of the country, hospitals are already struggling to cope with new cases. There are new strains of this disease in places like the United Kingdom. The situation is very serious. All righty, that was the prime minister. So consider yourself warned if you leave the country. And he's also um, mentioned that the travel ban with the UK has been extended until January 6. And why it's not international by this point is beyond me because there's a new strain of this new COVID thing found in uh, South Africa, parts of Ireland. So, you know, it's a risky time to travel. And normally this is the time of year when folks, you know, take off either skiing or going to sunnier destinations. And today would be that day where all the reporters at the airport talking about how this is the busiest travel day around the world. But given COVID, uh, things are not the same. Frankly, I I don't understand or I can't imagine why anyone would risk traveling right now, given we have no idea how many more travel bans will be in place. But I mean, if you're a Canadian leaving our borders, you're not going to be protected. Let me bring in Jim Byers. He's editor-in-chief of CanadianTravelNews.ca. He joins us now. Good to have you, Jim. Thanks very much. I know, you know people are itching to travel, almost to escape <laughs> this thing. What is the demand right now that you're seeing? You know, I mean, it's not a lot. I mean, you know, people are, are pretty much hunkering down and uh, following the, the prime minister's uh, uh, latest missive. Um, you know, he's he said this before, but not nearly as kind of strong that we're that we're seeing. I mean, with the numbers spiking the way they are, um, you know, I think a lot of us in the industry kind of thought maybe by the fall things might get a little bit better, and we we kind of went through the trough between the two waves, and maybe in August and September, and it looked like things were going to be okay. But given the numbers now, I mean, even somebody like me, and I I travel for a living. I haven't been on an airplane in ten months. I got the shakes, and uh, it's it's driving me crazy. But not I'm not going anywhere for a while. Yeah, I mean, the last time was March break when uh, the premier said, yeah, go have fun. And then all of a sudden people were racing back um, as borders started to shut down around the world. And, you know, the bottom line is, would you advise someone? I mean, if someone wanted to book, would you be telling them don't? I, I, you know, I think it's a really such a personal thing that I, I don't feel like I'm in uh, in the position. It's just like I wouldn't tell my brother-in-law or my sister-in-law, you know, don't have your friend over or don't have your, your son or daughter. I mean, it's it's such a judgment thing, and, and I'm not going anywhere right now. Um, given the numbers, will I wait for a vaccine? Probably not, but if enough people are getting vaccinated and, and you know, the numbers drop considerably, then, you know, I will probably do that. But, I you know, I travel for a living, and, and it's part of what I do. Um, it's a little bit different for the average person on the street. I do know people who are traveling because they have places and they have, uh, um, you know, uh, winter homes that they that they have to look after uh, and feel that they should go in and check in. And, and I, you know, I think it, it, it's a funny thing. In some ways, you know, it's actually you could argue that it might even be safer to travel internationally because, you know, don't forget a lot of uh, international destinations are requiring Canadians and others to have a positive, sorry, a negative uh, COVID test, PRC test, or what have you, before they fly. To my knowledge, that isn't required if you're flying to and from Calgary or certainly within the United States. So, you know, you could actually make the make the argument that it's safer to fly internationally because you're getting tested. What what a telling comment, given the prime minister and his <laughs> uh, his colleagues keep telling us how safe it is. But you know, it's interesting, and I, and I get if you have um, a place where you can go for months at a time. My concern would be, you know, if people leave now and all of a sudden they start shutting borders like they did in the spring. What are the uh, risks, um, you know, kind of of taking that two week vacation? 
I mean, that could happen. You know, I mean, right now, nobody, nobody foresaw this new strain popping up in the UK. So I'm, I'm sure there are people that, that flew to Britain, say, 10, 12 days ago um, and wanted to go visit the family. And maybe they were quarantining and now they're stuck because there's no flights coming back till January 6th. You know, the, the prime minister announced a, a two week extension on that UK ban. I think South Africa has barred flights from the UK and, and other countries in Europe have, have done the same thing. Maybe tomorrow it's it's Czech, it's the Czech Republic or or mm-hmm. Botswana or. Or, or Argentina, I don't know. Um, you know, it, it's uh, this this virus is is behaving in a way that viruses often do. It's unpredictable. Um, it, it's really difficult to determine where you know the next hot spot is going to be. So you always do take a little bit of a chance these days when you're traveling. And you know, certainly <laughs> I certainly wouldn't go anywhere without really strong health insurance. That's for darn sure. Yeah, no kidding. And knowing also of where to turn. I mean, you you know, doing that advanced homework of like, who do I turn to if I get stuck? And what what protections are in place if all of a sudden you find that uh, the borders are being shut down? Like, who, would you go to the local embassies? Where do people go? That's what usually happens is you'd, you'd want to hit the local uh, Canadian embassy. So, I mean, if somebody is going to travel, I would recommend they, they do it in a place where there's a very strong relationship with the uh, with Canadian government. I wouldn't go in a place where, you know, Canada is at odds with, with another country right now. Uh, you know, China, for example, perhaps might be a little tricky. You know, <laughs> I, I mean, think you'd be certifiable right now if you went to China, but, but that's a different story. Uh, notwithstanding the ban with the UK, certainly the UK is a, is a friendly place. And uh, the US would normally be a place where Canadians are very comfortable. But given the numbers now, you know, my, my dad's in California and I'd love to see him. I haven't seen him in 11 months, but I don't feel comfortable getting on a plane. He's He's getting close to 90, and it's not safe for me to visit him right now, and not safe for him to come and visit me. So, um, you know, it's 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 unfortunate. It's uh, uh, but you know, we just, uh, as the prime minister said, you know, sometimes you just gotta suck it up, and, and we're Canadians, and we can manage for a winter. And uh, you know, at some point, we'll all get back to something to normal. At least we have some vaccines on the way, and that's that's certainly positive news. Speaking of vaccines, there was this headline about, um, you know, snowbirds going down to the United States and maybe taking advantage of getting the vaccines there if they're available. And I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised by this. I mean, I think a lot of people would think that that's, you know, taking advantage of the system. But I think they also forget that a lot of snowbirds pay taxes down there and also might be dual citizens. So why wouldn't they? Right. You know, they, they mentioned that the governor of uh, uh, Florida said he wasn't uh, intending, and whether that's final word, I don't know, but he said he wasn't intending to discriminate against snowbirds. That's right. They do pay uh, taxes, sometimes on a year-round basis. Uh, they go out to restaurants. They, they buy tickets for Leafs games when they play Tampa Bay Lightning down there, uh, when there's hockey, that is. Um, so, you know, there are Canadians do uh, are valued members of, of the Florida Society for really 12 months of the year. So I don't think the U.S. is really going to be a position to say, well, you know, show me your credit card, show me your passport. Um, you know, I mean, I even, to be honest, I've even thought about that. I was born and raised and or born in the U.S. And, and spent the first 25 years there. If if I was in, in California in March to see my dad and, and the local county said, oh, by the way, you you know, you're eligible to come down for a, uh, for a COVID shot. Would I turn down? I don't think I would, to be honest. Nor should you. Hell, it leaves more for us. Uh, no, take exactly. it where you can get it. And I'm doing Canada a favor. I'm saving it. <laughs> I love it. There you go. Well, Jim, um, I, I hoped for better travels or some travels at least for you in the new year, but I appreciate you uh, giving us a bit of a um, kind of insight as to what we should be watching yeah. for. Thank you. Happy to help anytime. Wishing you a Merry Christmas. Thanks. You too. Take care. Thanks. Jim Byers, editor-in-chief, the um, website CanadianTravelNews.ca if you want to get any more information. But again, if you're going to get on a plane, leave Canadian borders. Just check before you go. 
Hello, Carrot. Hi, Phoebe. Sorry, he's on a road. I just found him traveling. Hey, come here. Come see me. Oh, it's Carrot. If ever we needed some good news, it is now. And the voice you heard there is the woman who brought Carrot, the magic reindeer's plate, to our attention. He's that little white bucktail that was found with an arrow through his head up in Kenora. And Leanne and Alex immediately took on the task of trying to get Carrot help. And then his story went viral. Everyone around the world was talking about this little deer. But then the arrow was taken out of his head by some provincial workers, and then his health started to slide. So it didn't actually look very good for Carrot. And then he kind of went into hiding, as animals tend to do, so no one really knew what would happen. And then, what do you know, a couple of days ago, he emerges. And so in that video, you hear Leanne's voice, and you see him walk right on over to her, and then, you know, starts licking her hand. That's a good sign, no? I mean, this little guy has defied all the, the all the odds, and, and let's just call it what it is. He gave us a little bit of magic in 2020. Alex Call is part of this double duo of good. And uh, I mean, you and Leanne, I think, are a really big reason Carrot is alive. You must feel great. A double duo of good. I like that. <laughs> I um, you know, I got to give the props really to my wife, Leanne. Um, I mean, we're... Of course, we're in this together with all the way, but she's really been the big mover in in Carrot's uh, story and and really in saving his life. Um, she's just a tireless defender of wounded beings, whether they're animals or people. You know, she's just one of those people. Um, and what? And when I saw the so when I saw the video of him strolling over, because there's a few videos that are put up on the site, you've got him laying in some straw, um, you know. But then when I saw him strolling over to her across the road, I, I like I just I started blubbering like a fool. It doesn't take much today, but I I just started crying because it was so sweet. Yeah, well, we've been going through, you know, a pretty dark night here for a couple of days. Um, he had a, you know, the, the, the darting and the removal of the thing and his recovery was dicey. It was difficult. Okay. It was really hard on him. Mm-hmm. It was hard on the people that did it too, but it was, you know, it was pretty touch and go for him. And so for him to disappear for two days was, you know, led us down some dark alleys. And then there he was, the sun came out couple of mornings ago and and he was walking down the road and you know of course he came right over to Leanne and he's been by the house several times and he's just great so and all his all his reindeer friends seem to be kind of sticking around with him yeah you know these deer all kind of grow up together in the neighborhoods here and you know they just move around from place to place they're they're not tame deer per se you know they don't you know, they don't stay, you know, he doesn't stay at our house or something. He just comes by, you know. And we did put some straw out because somebody from the MNR said it would be good for him to rest on straw. And so the straw is really insulating on the ground, right? So we've had five or six deer sleeping there at night. It's really wonderful to watch. Gee, you, you could build your own nativity soon, uh, nativity scene uh, at some like point. That. It really is. <laughs> yeah. What do you think it is about this deer um, that has captured um, really the hearts of so many people, not, not, not just in Ontario, but like literally around the world? Well, we've been asking ourselves that question. That, you know, the best that I can come up with is, you know, his wound like that. It, well, he's a very innocent 
being, okay? He's just innocent, and he's very loving, and he's always been that way since he was a little fawn. But so for him to have, you know, a crossbow bolt through his head and still be the same way is just like this... uh, this triumph of love over darkness kind of, I think it's very primal for people. I think a lot of people, especially after this year, felt like, you know, they're doing the best they can to survive, and just life is almost like a crossbow crossbow bolt to the head, you know. It's just been really tough on people. So I think that's one of the reasons why they're relating to him. It's it's really astonishing. Yeah, he's he's not really part of Santa's sleigh, but he, he this whole thing has taken on a life of its own, and I, I didn't really expect that this would turn into what it has we didn't expect it at all you know leanne thought that you know maybe there'd be a hundred people that would like it or something and it's just gone all over the world with stories and uh you know and press outlets all over the world which is really fantastic in china they call him uh the carrot deer (laughs) (laughs) he's kind of become the carrot deer to me (laughs) Yeah, but I, I mean, it has touched, I mean, Leanne has, has told me that it really touched people who have um, gone through enormous loss of loved ones this year, and just to see kind of this very bright um, spot that didn't necessarily have to have a happy ending. I mean, Carrot could have gone off to the woods and never to be seen again, but just the fact that uh, there's a little bit of hope here and, and seemingly coming back from the odds has given, I think, a lot of people um, something to smile about. Absolutely. It's just beautiful. I mean, we were dark, I'm telling you. For a couple of days, we were pretty down. And then to see him again, just I, I just felt like the weight was lifted off of our shoulders. You know, it's just to know that he's out there. So it's, it is transformative. It's very emotional. Well, because these animals um, are so, uh, you know, deer are so mistrusting they don't trust they're such delicate creatures and and generally they dash away from from anybody or any movement um because they are prey yet it is very clear that they have formed and the others have formed a real bond not just with you but with leanne well actually you know i kind of dispute whether they're actually prey for humans i know people treat them that way but you know i'll tell you what we're in a wildlife area here right and do we have wolves and bears and all kinds of stuff the deer would never come and hang out with wolves. Right. Okay? <laughs> but they will come out with, and hang out with humans. In fact, they'll actually come to us, to us for help. You know, they don't really see us as predators. You know, some people treat them that way, and some deer are, have become afraid, but they're not naturally that way. They're naturally willing to be completely trusting with humans. I mean, that's just my experience. You know, I don't know how else to read in a book. It's just what I've seen. You know, all the deer here, they'll come up to you. You know, it's just we mistreat them, I'm afraid. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just, it's been a wonderful you know, I'll story. I'll tell you about us, yeah. predators. We couldn't run down a deer with our fingernails and our teeth and take a deer down, okay? It doesn't work no. that way. <laughs> We're not really predators. They don't see us as predators. They're totally well, willing to come up to us and be trusting with us. Well, they certainly love um, love both of you guys. And so, do you do you feel confident enough now that he's uh, definitely out of the woods? He seems to be out of the woods. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, as long as nobody hurts him again. <laughs> you know, that was an awfully cruel thing to do. Whoever did it, 
Uh, yeah, and I know I notice he's got those little tags on his ears, so that uh, hunters uh, should know that uh, he's off limits now, which is a good thing. But um, he he is marked, and he's not to be hunted. But uh, I tell you, Alex, um, I, I'm so happy to be talking to to have met both of you because I know you've been inundated, and, and the fact that you've taken time to talk with us, um, and it's just such a nice story that uh, it really it really brightened up my day, and so I thank you for it. Yeah, well, it's a real Christmas story, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's just one of those things. It's just the carrot, the magic deer. He really is magic. Yeah, there's either a storybook or a song in there somewhere, and uh, something tells me yeah. that the story's not yet over. Alex, I wish you the very, very merriest of Christmases as, as well to to Leanne, and I'll continue following Carrot's journey, and uh, and I thank you for sharing it with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, and Merry Christmas to you and to all everybody who's listening. And uh, Happy New Year. There you go. Throw them some extra apples or um, alfalfa uh, for us. We appreciate it. That is uh, Alex Call, and um, Carrot is doing well. So let's just take that bright spot in a very dark, dark year. That's a good way to end it. You, of course, can join us live Monday through Friday starting 6.30 sharp here. Alex Pearson on point. This is Global News Radio.